Is there joy in the house of the Lord today? <laughs> Good morning, Bethel family. You may have a seat. My name is Rosalia. My name is Javier. We've been part of the Bethel family since the end of last year. Yes, and we were so happy and excited to get baptized together on Mother's Day weekend, May 9th. <laughs> we have four beautiful children. Three of them are serving. Lily was in the nursery this morning with her baby, Selena. And our two boys, shout out to them. They're back there in the cameras. And they were serving out in the parking yeah, lot today. Yeah, they were in the parking lot. Yes. Pastor Ray asked us to welcome everyone today. Oh, yeah. And if Pastor Ray ever sends you a text message saying, hey, will you do me a favor? Don't be surprised if he's going to ask you to do the welcoming. So here we are. <laughs> here at Bethel, we love guests. And if you're here for the first time visiting us or you haven't filled out our connection card, we love to connect with you. Yeah, just go to the website, mybethel.cc slash connect, um, or grab your phone and scan that QR code on the back seat in front of you. And we look forward to answer any questions you have about Bethel, and uh, we would like to uh, partner with you. Yeah, to see how we can partner with you. Uh, we have a new series uh, called... Uh, Acceptable lies. So acceptable lies, kind of like when we tell our kids we're running errands, but really we're out on a lunch date. Is that no, what? no, no, no. It's more like when you tell me the baby has a wet diaper, but she really has a dirty diaper. <laughs> yes, that's. When so, I've done that. Yeah. What? Yeah, well, oh yes, man, man, many times, many times. Yes. Whoops. Yes, yes. It's more like an agreement that we make to ourselves uh, in the world around us. And uh, today, uh, Pastor Ruben will be sharing first series of applicable life. Yes, so take it away, Pastor Ruben. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, this morning, we're actually starting a new series uh, called Acceptable Lies, and I want to start off by asking a question that I think will give us some context for uh, what we're, what we're going to be talking about through this series. So how many of you guys have ever been lied to before? Okay, yeah, good. So if you didn't raise your hand, you can now raise your hand because you just lied to yourself, okay? Because uh, I, think, I think we've all experienced lies or someone lying to us, or maybe it wasn't even a direct lie, but it was like just misleading. And so how many of you guys have ever been lied to and you didn't know that it was a lie until a long time later? Yeah, those ones hurt even worse because you're like, at, on some level, when we believe something to be true— and then find out that it's not, then it kind of derails some things for us. Because when we believe something to be true, we begin to operate our lives along a certain path, or we do certain things and we experience certain things based on that truth, right? And so once we, if we recognize it and understand it to be now a lie, then we're, then we're questioning and we're like, man, I, I, like now I got to reevaluate some things in my life and, and shake some things up. So those lies actually do damage and they actually hurt. And so uh, throughout this series, we're going to be talking about some things uh, called acceptable lies. And, they're, and I want to define it for you so that we kind of have a foundational understanding of what we're talking about moving forward in this series. And we can all kind of start on the same page, so to speak. So what are acceptable lies? They are, the definition is here up on the screen, so it says, they are lies that we have made an agreement with ourselves, society, and culture to collectively accept as truth. And so the goal of this series is going to be to raise attention and to identify some of the lies that maybe we've agreed with, and we might not even vocalize it, we might not say it out loud and say, oh yeah, that is truth, but our lives operate in such a way as if it is truth, okay? And so... 
Um, we want to help through this series. We want to help identify some of these lies maybe that we have uh, made an agreement with. We want to expose them for what they really are, which are lies. And then we want to speak truth over them so that we have truth to combat against the lie. Because here's the deal. When, when something, lies are powerful because we believe them right? Once we recognize them as untruthful, then they don't, they lose some of the power they have over our lives because we're able to kind of push them to the side and say, okay, that's no longer, I'm no longer going to operate in this way because I recognize that this is untruthful. Um, So for example, this is a silly example, but I gave it in the first service and I said, uh, I I love sports, um, but if I was a, a young boy growing up and my parents and my friends and all the people around me said, hey, sorry, I know you love sports, but you can't ever play sports because you have this rare condition that when your heart rate elevates, it creates all kinds of, you know, problems and health problems in your body. So you can watch sports, but you can't play them. So I live my whole life thinking I can't play sports because I have this rare condition that I really don't know much about, but I've taken what people have told me as truth. Okay, so I love sports growing up and I I watch them all the time. And then when I'm an adult man, I go to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, you got a clean bill of health and you're good to go. Um, Proceed as normal. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, time out. I've been told my whole life that I can't play sports because I have this rare condition that doesn't allow me to elevate my heart rate. Are you saying that, that, that that that's not true? And the doctor says, well, No, I don't know who told you that. Like, I don't see any indication or any traces of you having any sort of health problems that would cause you not to be able to play sports. And now, not only am I ticked because I've been lied to my whole life and that hurts because I wanted to play sports, I longed to play sports, and I've only been able to watch them, but now that I recognize that that's not truthful, I'm going to change my life and I'm going to start playing sports because I want to, right? That's something that I desire to do that I now can do because I realize that that lie that I have been told my whole life is untruthful. And so it lost its power in my life to be able to change the trajectory or the course of my life. And so that's how powerful lies can be. And this morning, I want to expose uh, our first lie that we sometimes believe as a society and a culture, and that is the lie that my circumstances justify my doubt, okay? And so specifically talking about doubt in in God, doubt in in Jesus and who he really is, because if we're not careful, we look at the world around us, we look at the evil that exists, we look at the painful experiences and the circumstances that we go through as people, and we're tempted to say, I feel like God is not good because I'm experiencing this. And so we would say, because of my circumstances, I can justify in my mind doubting who God really is because my circumstances tell a different story. Okay, and so I want to look through that and I want to kind of point out some, some different things and some, uh, some ways where God has been faithful throughout history to walk with us in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our circumstances. And hopefully this morning you will be encouraged uh, to maybe change or, or view life from a different perspective than you have in the past. Um, so if I told you that my shirt was, was white, what would you say? No, it's not. Okay, well, why is it not white? How do, how do you know it's not white? Because you can see it, right? So we see, we, we take information in through our eyes, we process it through our minds, and we tell ourselves, mm, that's not true, right? And so in the same way that if I were to try to convince you that my shirt is white, I could 
tell you all day long that my shirt is white, and you would say, no, it's not. It's black and gray, right? And so you're able to do that. And so our experiences, the things that we see, if they don't line up with what we know to be truth, we are tempted to be to feel a different way about God because of what we see. Maybe it's unmet expectations. Maybe for people you've gone throughout your life, and like you said, all of you raised your hand, that you've been lied to before, and so it creates some sort of scar tissue in your heart that says, "Mm, I'm going to be more careful next time to believe something is truth unless certain conditions are met, right? Or expectations are lived up to. Um, And so, Our experience may tell us a different story. Maybe we've experienced unfulfilled promises, unmet expectations, and what we see doesn't always line up with what we hear, and our challenging circumstances uh, cloud our vision. So when circumstances change or or expectations go unmet, one of the things that we're often most tempted to doubt is the goodness of God in our lives, right? So um, I know that there's two ways in my life, and I'm going to walk through both of these ways uh, this morning, and hopefully my prayer is that it will be an encouragement to you and hopefully maybe give you uh, a new perspective, is that uh, I'm tempted most often to doubt the goodness of God when I misunderstand his nature and also when I put my hope in the wrong things or things that could never deliver what I'm expecting them to deliver. And so, I want to walk through those this morning. And the first one, we, we misunderstand, we're, we're tempted to doubt when we misunderstand God's nature. So let me, let me explain it like this. God is not good because he go, does good things for us, even though we enjoy when that happens or we're able to, in our human mind, say, oh, that was good, right? God's not good because he does good things for us. God is good because it's in his very nature to be good and he can be nothing else. Right, And that's a shift of our starting point. That's a shift of our understanding or the lens in which we look at life. Uh, so we expect God to be and to do something that we, he never promised us that he would do or be. And then we're tempted to get mad at him or say that he's not good when those things don't happen or those expectations go unmet. So whether you realize it or not, all of us sitting in this room right now, have expectations of God, right? We've created a, uh, a God in our mind that we expect him to deliver on certain things. And if those expectations go unmet, the temptation is me to say, well, God really isn't who I thought he was, right? Instead of allowing God to be who he is and shifting our perspective, we see God through our perspective of our pain and maybe some of the circumstances that we go through uh, in this life. So for example, sometimes we say, if nothing bad happens to me, then we can say God is good. Or we say, if my health doesn't fail, then we can say God is good. Or if I'm able to provide for my family in the way, that I, that I, the way that I expect myself to, then God is good. Or if I get all the things that I want or feel entitled to, then I can say God is good. And so what I think would be most helpful in this circumstance, in the situations that we find ourselves in throughout life, is to simply shift our starting point. Okay, and let me explain what I mean. So if I, uh, if I can shift my mind to see God for who he really is and filter my view of God through the assumption that God is good 
rather than to filter God's goodness through my circumstances, then I think we will all be able to find joy in life no matter what we face, right? So if we can filter our circumstances, we don't filter God's goodness through our circumstances. We filter our circumstances through the goodness of God because we understand that God is a good God and it's his very nature to be good so he can be nothing else. And so the assumption is, well, God is good. That discussion's off the table and I make an agreement with that and then the rest of life I filter through that lens. So what is your starting point this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you can say, my starting point is God is good, so dot, dot, dot. Therefore, I can go through this, or I can face this challenge, or I can find joy in this great circumstance because I know that it only comes because God is good. Or is your starting point, if you fill in the blank, then God is good. So if my starting point is if conditions are, are, are expected to be met, and when those conditions are met, then I say God is good, then it's really going to derail us when those expectations go unmet. And it's going to cause us to have an altered, altered view of who God really is. So when we start from the assumption that God is good, then we can find joy even in the midst of incredibly challenging circumstances because we assume that God loves us and he is for us, even though our circumstances tell a different story. So the book of Habakkuk, I don't know if you're sitting here today and you're like, I didn't even know that that was a book in the Bible. It's not one that I spend a ton of time reading because it's this obscure book in the middle, or like, well, towards the end of the Old Testament, which are the Jewish scriptures. They're scriptures that God gave uh, to his Jewish people and um, to the Israelites. And so we see, we get a kind of an insight into a really chaotic time in the prophet Habakkuk's life. So I want to encourage you, if you have never read the book of Habakkuk, uh, find it. You might have to search for it on the Bible app if you've never uh, come across it before, which is totally fine. It's a book that oftentimes is not talked about and a, a book that is like, you read it and you're like, wow, like that was crazy. Chapter one is all about just these chaotic and just destructive circumstances that are happening to the people of Israel. And then chapter two is uh, Habakkuk just really questioning God and wrestling with like, man, just the character of God, the nature of God and who God really is. And then we find ourselves in chapter three, where uh, we pick up, we're going to pick up in verse 17, and we're going to kind of see, get some insight into the conclusion that Habakkuk makes, even in the midst of some crazy, just decay and destruction that's happening all around him. And so we pick up in verse 17. If you don't have your Bibles with you, uh, the, the verses will be up on the screen, or you can follow along in the live event on the Bible app. Just go to events or go to more in the bottom right corner and go to events and you'll see Bethel Community Church uh, hopefully pop up right there and you can follow along with the notes. Um, but it says this in starting in verse uh, 17 of chapter 3 of Habakkuk. He says, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crops fail and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. So you can see the picture that's being painted here, chaos, death, destruction all around him. Yet this is what he says. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer to be able to tread upon the heights. 
So the prophet Habakkuk was able to shift his perspective, to walk through a painful circumstance, to see what was happening around him, and to still make a choice and say, I'm going to choose to believe that God is good because it's his very nature to be good, and therefore I can find joy even in the midst of chaotic and challenging circumstances. So he was able to shift his perspective and assume that God was good. So that was his starting point. God is good, therefore, blah, blah, blah. I can now face what I see happening around me because I assume that God is good and he can do nothing but good for me. Um, And so through these circumstances, they were telling him a different story. But the difference was that he chose to find, he chose, wow, I can't talk this morning. Chose, choice. I was trying to say joy and chose at the same time. So he chose to find joy in God rather than in his circumstances. Have you guys ever tried to say two words at one time? It doesn't work very well. I just found that out right now. Yes, two sentences. That, I, that's on a whole other level. I'm not even going to attempt that. Okay, so the difference was that he chose to find joy in God rather than in his circumstances because his circumstances told him, this isn't good. Things are dying around me, like cattle. Like we don't even have food. And so his circumstances told him, there's no way. Like if God really loved you, this wouldn't happen. If God really, like, was a good God, would he really allow these terrible things to happen around you, right? That's the temptation. But he was able to step outside of that and say, actually, I know and understand and I assume that God is good. Therefore, maybe there's something that I need to learn through these challenging circumstances. Maybe there's something that God is doing that maybe I don't quite see just yet, but my assumption is that God is good even in the midst of my, my bad circumstances. So, and this is simply a perspective shift. One of the most helpful things that I learned uh, while I was going through some of my time in counseling was that two things can be true and equally true at the same time. And that was really helpful for me because I was able to see God in uh, for who he really was even though some of the, my circumstances were causing uh, some depression and anxiety and to see God from a, from a view that um, really isn't truthful to who he is. And so we can look at these circumstances that were surrounding Habakkuk. If you read the book, you're like, holy cow, like that was crazy. But, and we can acknowledge, because I don't think it's helpful to push challenging circumstances to the side and pretend that they don't exist right? That's not helpful to just push them under the rug and be like, I'm just fine. Everything's good. Like no problems in my life. No, we have problems. We, we face challenges. There's things that we experience on a daily basis that hurt, right? There's pain, there's death happening all around us. And there's, uh, there's just things, there's evil that exists in our world. So I don't think it's helpful to say, oh, let's just pretend that none of that exists. No, let's acknowledge that bad things happen, And let's acknowledge that challenging circumstances do exist and rise up in our lives. But at the same time, let's not cause it to change who the character, who God is, what his nature is, his character. Because yes, we can acknowledge that there's challenging circumstances on one hand, but we can also acknowledge and elevate the fact that God is good, which allows us to go through those challenging circumstances because we know that there's a good God that's walking with us and he's with us in the middle of our pain. He's with us in the middle of our challenging circumstances because he's good. 
Okay, and so um, another reason, not, so not only are we tempted to doubt God when we misunderstand his nature, uh, but we're tempted to, tout, to doubt God when we put our hope in the wrong things. And here's the reality. Every single one of you put your hope in something, right? God hardwired you that way. He, he wired you to um, worship something. We're all worshipers, and we cling and grab on to things that we hope and we think will deliver our deepest needs, right? And so if you can, if you can think, at, think about it from a perspective of a box, right, we can say, and I want you to think about this in your mind, and I want you to finish this statement in your head, okay? No matter what I go through in this life, at least I still have, you fill in the blank. And then picture that, that this, that's the box, right? I'm going to give you a couple seconds because every single one of us have something that maybe in this season you default to. You say, no matter what I go through, at least I still have blank. And I would say that that is a good way to discover what it is that you are maybe tempted to put your hope in during this season of your life. Maybe even right now, maybe you've chased, uh, maybe you've faced some challenging circumstances and there's something, maybe, uh, maybe a job or a, an income that's coming in right now, or maybe a friend that you're clinging to and saying, okay, I can go through a lot of stuff because at least I still have this right here. But here's the deal. So maybe some of you filled in the blank with a job. Maybe you would say, no matter what happens in the life, at least I still have my job. Maybe you would say, no matter what happens in this life, at least I still have my health, or my family, or my friends, or my house, or my car, or money. And maybe you filled in a blank with something else that wasn't on that list, but there's an indication there that there may be something that you are holding tightly to and to say, I can, I can face all kinds of challenges, at least I still have this. The only problem with that is, is that when we put our faith in the wrong thing, what happens when we lose our job or we get laid off, as many people did throughout uh, the 2020 year, right? There was, there was a, it was a challenging time for our, our community and for society as a whole. Um, what happens when your health starts to fail? And you run into health problems that you didn't anticipate or you didn't even know existed at the time. And now you went from healthy to having to maybe take medication or having to rely on uh, doctor's visits and things like that. What happens when your health starts to fail? What happens when your family moves away or worse, they pass away? What happens when you and your friends start to grow apart and maybe go different directions or seasons of life change and you just don't connect as well as you used to? Uh, what happens when you can no longer afford your home or something happens to it? I told the story in the 930 service. My son woke me up at 3.30 in the morning and he comes in our room storming and he goes, Dad, our coal cul-de-sac is flooded and the car across the street is drowning. And I'm like, so I'm like, I'm up at this point because he's like urgent. I'm like, okay, okay, like wh what's going on? He goes, come look, come look. And it was like the tires were covered like that much, <laughs> like barely touching like the, the rim. 
And I'm like, oh man, Cage. And he, so he, he asked me, he goes, he goes, was that a good reason to get up out of my bed? Because we tell him like, once you're in bed, stay in bed, lay, go to sleep, sleep throughout the night. Your body, God created your body for rest, get some rest, okay? And so he's like, was that a good reason to get out of my bed, dad? The coldest sex flooding. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, son. And he goes, what are we going to do? I said, honestly, there's nothing we can do. Like I, I can't, I, I don't control the rain. <laughs> and so all we can do right now is go back to bed. <laughs> and so I laid back in my bed. But I say that to say in a moment, like I could, like something could happen to our home and it could flood. We could lose everything. Or a tornado could come through. Like all of you guys are aware, we live in Oklahoma and tornadoes are a very real thing. And so it could come by and we could spend all this time and energy and effort and, and making our, our home what it is, a home where we live and love uh, like our family and have experiences. And all of a sudden, in an instant, it could be destroyed and all taken away. And then what do you do? Right? If, if my hope is clinging on to these things like my job or my friends or, or family or circumstances like uh, money or car, whatever it may be, then ultimately when that goes away, I'm extremely disappointed because I realized that what I was holding on to was actually empty. And now I find myself in a situation where my life and everything I knew is the temptation is that I would be derailed because I put my hope in the wrong thing that could never deliver what I actually was hoping that it would. Okay, so that, in those moments, I'm tempted to doubt God when I realize, whoa, I just put my hope in the wrong thing and that thing that I was hoping wouldn't fail me just failed. So now what do I do? Uh, there's a story, an example of hope in uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it may sound, uh, for those of you who know this story, it may sound kind of obscure, but uh, bear with me and I'll explain what I mean here in a second. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were these three Jewish guys who were serving underneath the king, Nebuchadnezzar, in the province of Babylon. And they, they were serving faithfully. They, were, they loved God. Uh, they didn't serve any other gods. They only served uh, the God of Israel and as the one true God. And we see that King Nebuchadnezzar set up this huge golden statue and he said, I'm gonna get the worship. I'm worthy of the worship. I'm gonna take all the worship. And so he set out a decree among all the land. He said, when you hear all kinds of music playing um, over, I don't they didn't have loudspeakers back then, so I don't even know how they heard it. But when they heard it, you were required by law, because it was set into motion by the king as a law, to bow down to this golden statue. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thought to themselves, ain't gonna happen, dude, because we don't serve your God. And so, sure enough, the music played, and they didn't bow down. They're the only ones standing there, and all of a sudden, some dude goes into the king, rats him out, and hears the king's response. So we pick up in Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and he says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage, and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. So when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is this true that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, and they said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, 
we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing, fiery furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. And so they understood, and, and, and here's what I really want us to understand. He, they said, my God is able to save us from this circumstance, this situation. My God will rescue us from your hands, but even if he doesn't, we will never serve your God because we understand, we know who God is. We know his nature. We understand his character and God is good. And so even though we're in the middle of a challenging circumstances, our lives are at stake, we're not giving in because we know who God is. They, were, uh, they assumed God's goodness. They assumed that there was purpose for their pain. They're, they assumed that there was purpose for what they were going through in that moment. And here we are, thousands of years later, talking about this story. And so here's what I want us to understand this morning. Notice how their hope was not in God rescuing them from their circumstances. But their hope was actually in God himself. So they said, even if we don't get rescued from this circumstance that we find ourselves facing right now, we still believe that God is who he said he is, and we will not bow down or we will not serve your gods because we serve the one true God. They understood who God was and their hope was in him, not in God rescuing them from their circumstances. So here's where we need to be careful. As people, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we are tempted to put our hope in God and what he can do for us rather than in God himself, the rock, the one who provides, the one who can actually hold us in his hand. And so we get mad when we don't, when expectations that we have on God go unmet because we put our hope in God coming through in the way that we thought that he should. And so I want to be very careful this morning that our hope needs to be in God rather than in God and what he can do for us and in God rescuing us from our cer certain circumstances that we find ourselves facing in this moment. So, and, and they said, but even if he doesn't, so God is not faithful because he gives us what we want or protects us from hardship. God is faithful because he promises to walk through us or walk with us when we don't get what we want and that he will be with us in the middle of our hardship. So if we take some time to think about the evidence of God's goodness in our life, and my suggestion is that we begin to change our perspective and we actually flip our perspective and begin to find our hope and our rest in the rock, the one who can actually deliver and make good on his promises. Um, the one, all throughout scripture, uh, Jesus, or, or God is referred to as our rock, our strong tower, our refuge, the one that we can find hope in and real hope, and he will actually deliver on what we are deeply looking for in our own lives. And so we spend all this time chasing after things that will ultimately fail us, and when they do, it's the temptation is that we shift our perspective of who God is, and we see him as a bad God because our circumstances say, say, these are not, this is not good. What I'm facing right now is not good. So I'm tempted to say God is not good. 
instead of saying and operating from the assumption and the starting point that God is good, so therefore I can face whatever it is, whatever I go through in this life, because I know that my hope is only in him, and he will never let me fail. He will never let me fall. And he is for me. He loves me. And so this morning, I want to challenge you and I want to ask you to flip the box and put your hope in the rock, the one who can save, the one who can rescue, the one who can actually deliver what you're looking for in the deepest parts of your being. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have um, to gather together and um, just be reminded of your goodness in our lives. God, I pray right now over everyone in this room that over the next few moments as we talk about and reflect on your goodness, that you would flood our minds and our hearts with the ways that you have been good to us all throughout time. Lord, that when we're tempted to look at the things happening around us in our world, at our circumstances, Lord, that we are tempted to call into question your goodness. Lord, I pray that in this moment, that if there's anyone here like that, that you would, by your grace, remind them of who you are, that you would flood their mind and their heart with the ways that you have provided for them, the ways that you have um, shown love to them. Your word says in Romans 5, 8, that that even when we were sinners and far from you, you demonstrated your love for us by giving yourself so that we could be set free, that we could be made new, that we could be in right relationship with you in the midst of our brokenness. And so, Lord, I pray that um, if there's anyone here this morning that needs to say yes to you, I pray that they would simply say yes. That instead of trusting in the circumstances that they face, instead of trusting or finding hope in the things that ultimately will let them down, that they would put their hope in you and in you alone. And God, that you would remind us once again this morning of all the evidences of your goodness in our life. That as we sing this song, as we worship together this morning, that we would sing praise and shout and you would receive the glory because you are good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Oh, I love, I love talking about the goodness of God because it yeah. doesn't rely on us, thankfully. Yeah. And I think what can be tricky about recognizing the goodness of God and looking at him and saying, you are good, and, and really meaning that is our feelings. Mm -hmm. I think feelings sometimes can be a gateway into accepting these lies. Yeah, to Now, doubt. I don't think that feelings are bad. No. God gave us feelings. He created us with, feel with feelings. And I think from a very young age is when we have to start separating lies, truth, lies, truth. Mm -hmm. That he is good, not because we feel like he's good or not. And I think of our son Maverick, he's five, yeah. and he's famous for, this never goes my way. I never get to do this. You always say that. I mean, right after he just extreme. got to do the thing extreme. that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, you probably got that from me. And I have to remind him, even in this little tiny five-year-old state, we are working on this idea of truth. I understand that's how you feel, son, and that's okay to feel that way. You're valid in feeling, but is that true? Does it always go that way? No. Okay, so is it true? No, it's not true. I know you feel like that, but that doesn't mean it's always true. So let's separate truth. I want him to know, and I want to start young, that he can start separating that in his mind before that spiral starts. Because we've all been in that spiral where we start here, and that thought, and I think of us sitting in a hospital room with our new baby, our fourth baby little crew, and it was exciting and everything was going well. And we quickly find out that they're, they're just not sure if he has everything is inside his testicles, which I don't know that I'm supposed to say around here, but we don't. It's online. It's online for everyone yeah, to see now. It's okay. It's okay. And so we don't know, and they're telling us we can't find them, and we're not sure, and an ultrasound can't tell that yet. And so we were so excited for this new healthy baby, and then our wind just was sucked out of our sails and I remember sitting in the hospital bed and looking over at Reuben and we were just crying and like God why in that moment when we don't know what our the future for him is going to hold and it's going to be a whole long journey if if they don't find them um yeah and a lot of just scary things as a parent to have to think about for years and years down the road and in that moment God didn't feel good it felt like we were abandoned in a bad situation and our son was just set on a really hard path. Mm-hmm. If this doesn't work out how we feel, it should go. Yeah. And I think it's so dangerous sometimes when we rest just our feelings and our, our truth on our feelings. And it can't be that way because our feelings don't always lead us to truth. They're just a gauge to kind of help us direct through, go through things. And then we have this doctor come in and check, check him, and that's when we really, the, everybody that kind of detected this, um, they said, well, we'll just see what the doctor says, because he, he's really good. We'll see if he feels them. And so that next morning at 6 a.m., they come into our room, and he tells us, I can't find them. He said, I'm a leading authority in this field, and I have worked with thousands and thousands of babies a year. And he was very confident in himself, and he's like, I don't feel them. He said, it doesn't mean they're not there but I don't feel them. And we were really hopeful that he was going to come in and be like, boom, there they are. I feel at least one. I feel something, you know. Yeah. We're like, okay. So he starts talking us through kind of what this might look like if he doesn't have what he needs inside his organs, certain ones. And so within, I, I had told some people, and I know a lot of people here were praying for us, and even yeah. if they didn't know all the details, we appreciate it so much. And so I had two friends privately text me from hours away. They don't live here. And both of them said, hey, my son has had a urology-related issue. And I just want you to know that this is the doctor. They gave me this name of this doctor. said, if you want to reach out to him, he is really good. And people really recommend him. And I had, within 10 minutes, I had yeah. another text from that second person saying, hey, my son had a urology issue too. Little different, same kind of different. And I just want you to know that my husband's a physician. I, I know her husband's a physician. He said, all of his colleagues say, hey, you should check this guy out. So you just might look him up. And I'm reading his name on my text, and I look at Ruben, and I said, what was that guy's name that came in earlier yeah. this morning? And he told me his name. And it's the same name 
on both of these texts, two people who don't, they're not close. And they're texting me this doctor's name who was just in a room at 6 a.m. And in those moments, you know, we're just crying and crying because we just feel like, you don't feel like he's good. And then you see those moments that say, hey, I know it doesn't feel like I'm good, but I do know what I'm doing. And I need you to trust me. Yeah, and the evidence was there. So even like with our son Maverick, who would make blanket like um, absolute statements, I never or I, you always or whatever, there's, there's evidence that shows that not to be true. And so when we can see the evidence, when we can look at the, even just the little things as evidence of God's goodness in our life, I think it's easier for us to trust that he knows what he's doing. And, and, and the end of that story, in case you guys were wondering, is that after all the labs and all the testing and all that kind of stuff, he had the hormone levels that he needed so it indicated uh, that they were there and uh, they just couldn't locate them at the time. And he's got about a six-month window and there's infertility issues that uh, could potentially be on the rise. We don't know, but um, we were able to see a glimpse that even though the circumstance said one thing, in our minds and we felt a certain way, the evidence pointed to something else. And so if we can look at the evidence throughout our life and say, come to the conclusion, the assumption that God is good, even in the midst of a circumstance like that, where it's like, man, this doesn't seem good right now. And um, that was a difficult uh, few days for us and few weeks really waiting for the results um, because it, it, it caused all kinds of other questions to, to raise too. Like, what, is this, what does this mean for him? He has, uh, you know, parts that uh, belong to uh, a male, um, but if they're not there, like, what, is this, what does this look like for us? And to navigate that would have been a, a challenging thing. And so we're questioning God in that season and, and, and through that time, um, but still God gave us evidence that he was still good in the midst of all that. Um, well, and, and so, praise God, he, yeah, praise God, he does have, yeah, what he needs. Those tests came back and all the good answers came with it. And I know that's not always the case, yeah. but before we got those results, we had to sit there and decide. But if not, yeah, he's still good, right? And even if, really yeah, even and if they're I, not I there, that. even if the tests come back negative, the, the goodness of God was not contingent upon yeah. us getting the results that we wanted. And that was a hard, that was a hard conclusion to come to because we wanted one thing. Um, and so that's, that's good and, and helpful. Um, we're, we're thankful that you're here today. Thank you so much for, for being here. And we hope that uh, your, your heart and your mind were encouraged um, and refocused and redirected on, on God and what he has for you in this life. Uh, we love you and we love walking through life with people. And so um, if there's any way that we can serve you this week, uh, please let us know um, and make, make us aware. If you haven't filled out the connection card and you've been visiting for a while now, or, or even if this is your first time, Fill out the connection card, and we'd love to get in touch with you this week and see how we can partner with you uh, throughout life. So, Well, we hope you guys have a great day. We love you. Thank you for walking through life with us mm -hmm. and reminding each other that he is good yep. no matter what. Here at Bethel, we exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. Have a great week, guys. Thanks, guys.